Hi, and welcome to TSH Unravels, the podcast in which we unravel society one topic at a time. This is our way of educating ourselves on societal trends and developments and inspiring us and our community to take a stand and contribute to a fairer and greener world. Now we're back at the Student Hotel and today we're unraveling the circular economy and the next generation of business. I have Daniel Pole as our expert today. He's a senior sustainability researcher at Rabobank and basically works on circular economy for a living. Then we have Bert van Son, founder of Mudjeans, the first circular jeans company in the world. And Mikael Ballester, co-founder of Fairphone, the phone that's built to last. Now they're all disrupting the industry, so I can't wait to sit down with them and hear what they have to say about the circular economy. Hello. Hello. How are you all feeling? Very well. Great. Very well, yes. Good. So to um, start off this podcast, I'd like to ask you all a question. Would you rather pay to own or pay to use a product? Mikael, let's start with you. Um, I'm going to say that it depends on the type of product. <laughs> it always depends, right? Um, yeah, I think this is something that we will also discuss later, but I, uh, I believe that there is a place for both, uh, business models. Uh, okay. And as a user, I see a point of, uh, renting or, or leasing some, uh, some products and buying other ones. Um, I think as far as you know, and you take the responsibility that you have as a consumer, um, you should be able to take the right decision and to know what you can own. And then when it comes to an end of life, you know that you have to recycle it or give it back or something like that. And other things that are more handy to not own, actually. Interesting. I'll go, I'll go back to that one in yeah. a minute. Daniel, how about you? Pay to own or pay to use? Uh, I think pay to own, but also that's because I like to break things open and see how it works. I, I mean, I'm an engineer. So uh, I, I love to see how things work and how, how they're made. Um, so that's why I like owning stuff and also having the possibility to repair it myself. Um, so yeah, owning. Okay. Okay. And for you, Bert? That's not a fair question to me. I launched the Lisa Jeans nine years ago, so I have to say <laughs> not owning things. But um, to be honest, no, like Miguel says, there's a difference in, in products. I always like the, the, the washing machine story. That's where I came up with the story where do you have to own a washing machine or is the, the paying per product, uh, per performance uh, better? And there, for me, it's very clear <laughs> because there you put pressure on the producer Instead of making something linear, where the idea used to be, I, I sell you a washing machine and I hope it breaks down in three years' time so you'll buy a new one for me or I can repair it very expensively, towards um, you pay for your wash once and I as a producer then have to say, I have to make something that lasts very long, uh, doesn't use a lot of electricity and water. And, and in the end, when it does come back to me, I have to be able to easily retract, uh, retract every raw material again and then be, make it recyclable. So there are products that absolutely have to become circular and, and non-owning products, non-owning yeah. products. Yeah. And something like a mattress? I have to say, if I see the amount of uh, uh, discarded mattresses that I see around, well, I live in Rotterdam, but I see the same uh, in Amsterdam, then you wonder, yeah, I think it would be better if people don't own them, actually, mm -hmm. that they know 
yeah. they will get something in return or they will stop paying for the contract the moment that they return it to the right place so that they take that little effort uh, for calling the company to pick it up or doing something with that mattresses instead of just dumping it into the street. Yes, I agree. Let's mm. indeed, uh, I, I like this. Um, I think, well, beforehand, I'm, I might have thought that you would have all said pay to use. So it's interesting <laughs> that you're already a bit like, we well, yeah. some things to own, something to use, um, which is exactly also the question that we asked our community. So we'd like to start off every podcast um, checking in with our community to hear what they think of the topic that we're okay. discussing. So we went to one of our hotels and we asked, um, would you rather own or use products? And how familiar are you with this concept of circular economy? So um Let's hear what they have to say. Uh, personally, I would prefer to pay to own it because then it's mine and I feel comfortable using it, I guess, if it's mine. I, I really like the approach of, of paying to use, but I think mattresses are something that are, is very personal. Oh, I definitely prefer to own them. Uh, yeah, own one as well. Own. Pay to own. Own. Use. Pay to own. For my personal life, I would only pay to own. The circular economy is there to take something that is produced and put into the economy. In an ideal world, you would not take it out of the economy. I would describe it as a new approach to maybe economical uh, traits. What I do most is to buy secondhand as much as I can. I recycle a lot. Uh, the item doesn't have a big personal value. There's no not a real use to own something. What do you guys think? Well, the, the, the funny thing is, I think it's a marketing thing mostly than it is knowing really what the product is made of, because I don't think many people know the production process of mattress. It just know I buy something new. It comes in a plastic bag. It's fresh. Yeah. And if I think recycled, I think someone slept in this before. Yeah. We don't want it. But they don't know the processes to you know recycle it. So it's really... I think a good bit of marketing could really help <laughs> making recycled mattresses a success. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah, What? What? so what we noticed was indeed, um, so we asked them about mattresses, but also about televisions, about phones, about um, um, uh, mechanical tools that you would use mm. in your shed and whatnot. And the funny thing indeed, also jeans, we asked them as well. The funny thing was as soon as it feels personal, so a mattress and jeans and even a phone, people are like, it's very personal. They go, I want to own it. I don't want to use it. Um, so that personal, like both the hygiene, but also a personal thing, they were like, I want to own it. Um, but uh, you indeed yeah. just said, well, yeah, jeans is personal, but you can also use it. No, I, I can confirm that because we've, we, we are doing this now for nine years, leasing jeans, and we've done a lot of uh, research and many students came to us and said, can we do research about this in many different countries? And these uh, answers I recognize very well. Of course, it's hygiene and people think they get a secondhand pair of jeans. I don't know where that comes from, but uh, this is what they think or whatever. And they feel like, oh, it's very personal. A pair of jeans starts also to fit to my body, which is totally true. So we, we do recognize this. That's why we are also having this hybrid model where you get a, a deposit. So you get a 10 year discount when you bring back your old jeans. And we even made that larger. We said, we also take now dirty jeans from other people made by slaves and with dirty chemicals. <laughs> we also accept those to make it bigger. But um, uh, what I was trying to say, that, so it, there's, there's also some, as long as it gets recycled, as long as you, like you say, as long as people bring it back, 
somewhere when you know that the raw materials will be reused again and, and then it becomes circular and that people at the, at the stage of design think of something coming back into circularity so owning is not or not owning is not the biggest question i think it's about the circular economy is bigger than that mm. yeah right? i I think that I think there is a uh, we definitely need to change a little bit what people think of new stuff and what new means actually yeah. because I can imagine in a pair of jeans is something that is obviously very recognizable if they are new or not but on a piece of technology we can make a piece of technology look as it was new uh, even though it has been used for a year or two years. So like that redefinition of what is new uh, needs to happen as well. And I think certain business models in the in the circular economy help there because I think the idea of new in a, in a leasing construction for a phone is not relevant anymore. It's, is it working or is it not working? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what is important. Is it, is it giving you the value that it needs to give you uh, uh, rather than if it's new or not? And yeah, I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting point. Yeah. I, and and I also interesting how for different product categories is very it can be very different and that's yeah. why you need to go back to design and and to design experiences and understand what people expect and what what people and how people use every product category. Yeah, um, I think that's a great bridge. It's about okay. perception indeed, and also a little bit about marketing, but also understanding materials, what happens to them. Let's indeed talk about, because we've mentioned it a couple of times already, circular, circular economy, design, um, but let's break it down first. Daniel, you are here as our expert today, so you have the honor of breaking this topic down Thank with you. me. Um, so the rise of new businesses and economies is at least partly driven by the need to create a more sustainable world, um, to take better care of our planet and to ensure that future generations can still live a good life. Mm -hmm. um, as our listeners maybe have already noticed, um, this is of course a topic that comes with quite a lot of jargon. So let's start at the beginning. <laughs> First question that, because we were thinking of, okay, what are the questions that we need to ask? But I think the really the first question that we need to ask is what is sustainability? Yeah. Well, if you look at research, there are many definitions on sustainability, but to keep it really short, it's uh, as a generation, don't use that much resources that future generations cannot use the resources they need. I think that sums sustainability up, but um, it's being used in quite a lot of ways. And I mean, it's really a, a hollow uh, kind of um thing right now so you have to be more precise when you come you step into the realm of sustainability you have to be really precise okay so what do you actually mean yeah what material what time frame what's your goal those are really the questions you need to ask when someone talks about sustainability yeah and also uh, uh when looking at sustainability while it may differ per industry or category product that you're working on the idea is indeed it's it's created for longevity and it's created with a certain awareness about the materials that you use, 
um, uh, how much you use of it and indeed also what you do at the end of life, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. So that's one. That's sustainability. That's one. Step one. <laughs> now, let's look at the economies. So um, there's a linear economy, there's a circular economy, uh, but there's also talk of the donut economy. So it's a line, it's a circle, and then it's a circle within a circle, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Could you explain what these eco economies entail? Okay. So basically, linear economies, what people refer to is uh, um, uh, take, make, and waste. So you take resources, you make a product out of it, and then you uh, dispose of it okay. and then it gets uh, doesn't matter what happens but you dispose of it, it's gone yeah quote unquote gone and that's the more traditional that's the economy, more traditional right? way that since second world war uh, mass production came up and that's how we um, use resource because you know we wanted we want more we want to we had a larger middle class so people had more money to spend and we could had new technologies that we developed within the uh, in the war that we can, now could use to make consumer products so that's what happened after world war ii so that's really the take make waste okay and then when you go to circular economy and also circular economy has i mean now it's called circular economy a few years ago it was uh, cradle to cradle and then a few years earlier you had other uh other words for it but it's basically three things it one is using your resources as long as possible so either as a resource itself or in a product um, when you use resources as long as possible you do this by using renewable energy and you need to design your products in such a way that you can reuse it as much as possible so those are the three main things when it comes to circular economy yeah that's what Bert also just mentioned about genes and, and Miguel about yeah. phones, like the design phase is very important is very for the important. circular economy. Yeah. Okay. And so then how do we go from one circle to two, which we then call the donut? Well, so the donut is more uh, more of an abstract uh, concept where you, well, it's, it's about the boundaries we live in within the world. So um, you look at boundaries, both social, uh, but also um, ecological, and you're looking to, okay, so how much land can we use within the parameters that we are viewing it now? So you can have a donut economy for a city or maybe for a country. Um, so what are the limitations of your country and are we um, producing within those limitations, yes or no? So that's what you're identifying do, through the donut economy. And it gives you the tools to say, okay, let's say um, we use way too much land and we use we need to cut it down then you have an incentive to say okay how can we cut this down what other types of businesses or other types of activities can we deploy within our country or within our city to stay within the boundaries that we just have identified within our economy and how do the circular economy and the donut economy interact are they um, uh, do they have synergy? Is it like, yeah, they? well, all those things of course have some synergy. Um, and, uh, like circular economy is really a way to stay within the boundaries that you identify within your donut economy. Okay. So I think that's the easiest way to do this because otherwise we need two hours of podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's the economy. So we yeah, have linear yeah. circular donut and then indeed the the circular make sure that you stay within the yeah. boundaries of the donut that's clear yeah. now with these different economies also come different businesses i can imagine yeah. because if you were a business created in more of the linear economy time then i can imagine that's a different way of working than it is when working in the circular economy right yeah yeah true okay so what is happening in the world of business what are some of the new models that have been developing there 
Um, well, what you see, well, one of the things we already talked about, of course, is the product as a services uh, that's popping up and everything is available as a service right now. You know, chairs, as a service, cars, well, cars, as a service, we know car rental. I mean, it's not new. It's just a new name. Um, but you can now get basically everything as a service. Uh, but it's also looking into um, um, extended producer responsibility. That's really important. So being responsible for the products that you put into an economy and also make sure you get the resources out of the product or get the products back. Um, so that's really an important theme. Um, but also identifying what is uh, is green and what not. So what contributes to the environmental objectives that we have in, in a country or let's say within Europe and make sure that the things you do do substantially comp- contribute to all of these uh, environmental objectives, but also do no significant harm to other uh, environmental objectives. So again, going back to that donut of the circular economy, do as much as possible to do good, but do not do harm that much uh, on other uh, no. parts. But then, so indeed, you said basically everything nowadays is available as a service. Yeah, um, yeah. And indeed, weirdest things, by uh, the way. <laughs> the, the washing machine and, and leasing a washing machine has been around for a lot longer already. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, so if, if everything is already available as a service and that is not necessarily a new concept, what's the difference between uh, a product as a service or something as a service versus actually being a circular service? Yeah, well, uh, we did last year, we did research on this to see are they the same and they are not. Um, and it's really uh, an easy way to, to explain this. Let's say I rent cars. So I rent you a car, you give it back. And it's 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 broken down, can't use it anymore. I just dump it. I mean, it's still product as a service because I deliver you a product as a service, and you extend the length of the product because you what you want to do is that you put money in the product and want to use it as much times as possible. But if you get that much good return on your product and you don't have to bother recycle it anymore because you know the value is really low, then you don't do anything on the circular side. So you really have to do more if you use product as a service to be circular. And that's where extended producer responsibility comes in saying, okay, I use this, but I also make sure that all the products or all the the subparts of this product are used in a good way or are repairable. So it's in a bidding, as said, designed in a good way, made with renewable energy and made sure that it can be used as long as... Um, yeah, physically possible. Yeah, so that end of life part is actually crucial. Crucial when you look yeah. at the circular economy, you can't just discard it or bring it uh, to the dump for for anything. Yeah. You need to make sure that you get your materials back and either recycle it into the exact same product or use the materials for something else. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Clear. Then last one. <laughs> we also hear the term greenwashing more and more <laughs> now. And I, I mean, we're talking about as a service and not everything being circular. I think indeed, when you look at marketing, um, I think a lot of companies present themselves as circular solutions yeah. uh, because it's as a surface. So what is greenwashing then? Well, greenwashing is saying you're doing something good for the planet, but actually you don't. No. Um, 
Uh, and there are some great examples. I think Volkswagen is one of the examples uh, we had in the past years that was clearly they marketed their uh, cars in the U.S. as, uh, as being uh, good for uh, and sustainable but if eventually they really weren't and this was a big scandal and well we all know a uh, new what happened but um that's in essential what greenwashing is yeah. marketing something that's green or good sustainable but in reality not so much so pretending to contribute to the circular economy or yeah and, yeah. and sometimes i mean sometimes there are really clear cases of greenwashing so there the contrast is really big but sometimes some uh, entrepreneur thinks they do something good, but if you would really research it, then you could say, well, it's actually not that good. And it's not because they have bad intentions. It's just because some things are more complicated than, than the entrepreneur would think. So it's not on purpose greenwashing. No. So, so it has to do with intent. It has to do with intent and you, also. You yeah. might be a bit more forgiven if you turn out to be greenwashing, but it wasn't on purpose yeah, versus yeah. I'm, I very clearly know what I'm doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So we've covered the basics, cool. circular economy, donut economy, sustainability. Now let's look at both of you, Mikael and Bert, because you are what we consider the change makers. You are actually the ones working in the circular economy in some way, shape or form. Um, Bert, starting with you, you already spoke of it a little bit, but mm -hmm. you founded Margins, the first circular jeans company in the world. Exactly. Um, why did you uh, found this company and what does it mean to design circular jeans? And there's a lot of questions. Yeah, there. well, let's start with the first one. Why did you find uh, found uh, my jeans? Because I, I've been in the garment industry now for 40 years. And after 30 years, I was able to sell a company in France that I had. And, and that was three months before the crisis in 2008. So people thought I was extremely intelligent, but it was sheer luck. And I, I, I also got one year salary and, and I said to myself, okay, this is it. I can take one year off and that's what I'm doing. So it took me four years to get back to my own me and, and consider what I was doing and in what kind of business I've been. And I decided to, to create a company again in the garment industry because that's where I had my, my knowledge and my network. And I still had a little of this money in front of me. And uh, thinking of it, I said, okay, what's the biggest item? Jeans. And it's also the most polluting item. So if you start there and you can make a difference there, then I'm doing something really good. So that's that's how we started Mud Jeans. I said, okay, let's make the jeans of organic cotton. Well, it's one thing everybody can do that's not very special. Let's try to pay the people properly who are making them. And in the process, not use dirty chemicals or lots of water or dumping water that, are, that is polluted and things like that. <laughs> so that was the basic idea. And then I said to myself, this isn't good enough because anybody can do this. I also should be uh, responsible for the product that I put into the market and I want to have it back after use. And that made a lot of difference because then you have to really start thinking and, and trying to find solutions. And so that's what we did. So the question was, how do I get my jeans back? Well, you can lease them from us now and, and or you either you get a d deposit of 10 euro when you bring back your old jeans. And that was fine also. But then I was doing this. So first we launched Lisa jeans. 
the whole press was stumbling over is fantastic. As a, as a new brand, nobody knows about you and they write about you in the Wall Street Journal. So it's a uh, Hosanna, it's fantastic. Life goals, yes. But <laughs> then people start leasing jeans from you and you're totally not ready. So I had friends, <laughs> I had friends uh, leasing jeans from me, calling me after three months saying, Bert, you're really a nice guy, but you don't take any money from my accounts. It's not going to last very long, this company of yours. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we had to settle it. We even had to stop with the stores. We only did it online then. Uh, I can tell you the whole story. It's too long. But also after two or three years, I met uh, William McDonough, the, the writer of the book uh, Cradle to Cradle. Yeah. And he loved the idea. I met him at some conference and he said, Bert, you're a great guy because you're you're doing what I wrote 30 years ago. And it was all happy. We had beers together. And he said, but you're using toxic indigo. That was the only indigo, indigos, the, the blue jeans. Uh, yeah, the color. Dye, dye stuff. So I said, yeah, it made me think he's right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm recycling toxic material. That, that's also not a very circular <laughs> idea, right? It's circular, but it's <laughs> yeah. not good circular. So I mean to say that during the years, you learn a lot. I've never learned so much in the last nine years of my life. I honestly can say. Did that answer your question? I think so. Uh, I think it did. So, so we now know um, why just, you founded the company. Yeah. Um, you, uh, if, if I can summarize what you're saying in terms of designing a circular jeans, you yeah. looked at every single step of the way to create a jeans. Yeah. Then indeed learned a lot about leasing jeans. Also, uh, yeah. I can imagine besides the fact that, that there were like logistical problems or financial uh, issues with getting the money, um, <laughs> To what extent is it also easy or difficult to get the genes back from people? Because you need to educate your consumers in a way. Yeah. They they need to think different about what they do. I mean, in mm -hmm. the past, if you're done with your clothing, you bring it to a thrift shop or um, you donate it, uh, but you don't know you don't know what happens to your genes, or exactly, you yeah. don't walk back into the store and go, "Here are my old genes back." So, how how easy or difficult is it to get that to get that step in the process? That was easier than I thought, actually. And that has to do, I think, with the, the people that we targeted. Because, of course, you start this company, you think, uh, who might be interested in this? And then you sort of try to find the, the customer and you try to reach it, uh, reach that customer. So we didn't go for the for the mass market people that buy their cheapest jeans they can get because they will never buy a pair of my jeans. But we thought, okay, if we, if we make a... a, a a, a portrait of, of the people that will buy our jeans, then let's try to find them and, and let's try to get them as a customer. And those people are just very happy that they, in the end, can send somewhere their jeans and say, oh, this is great because I know they are going to recycle it. I know where it's going. You know, we had people saying after two years, are you really going to recycle these jeans? So we said, okay, uh, we'll fill up two old cars. We'll drive to Valencia and we make a nice tour. On the way, we do content, Insta, famous, everything. And you, you, you arrive in Valencia, you throw your jeans yourself in the shredder. It's a fantastic story. So if you, if you, if you turn the questions into something positive that you can use. So we've always been able to, to turn the questions around and say, okay, we're, we're going to show it. Let's be transparent. It's, it's done there in Valencia. It's shredded. It's mixed, okay, with new uh, organic cotton. We have to mix. We have to still use virgin material. And we can make new yarns out of it. It's magic. Just show it and, and that's it. Right? But somehow, um, because if I look at your website, you mm -hmm. also still offer your jeans uh, for sale. So you yeah. have Lisa jeans, but you can also still own yeah, them. Uh, and apparently uh, consumers believe in what you do and they like the idea of Lisa jeans. So why not do away with the sale option altogether? 
the, I, I want to make it as big as possible. We we need the volume. If I go to to the Valencia uh, fabric maker and I tell him, yeah, please make five thousand meters for me, he will laugh at me and say, okay, but I'll do it for you. But phew. now, for instance, with this whole IKEA story, we came up with with an order of one hundred thousand meters. Then the machine starts running and then suddenly it's one euro cheaper per meter and then everything starts rolling. So we need the the economy of scale to make this work. That's why it's also a dirty word, but growth. We need growth. <laughs> we need to be become a little bit bigger to be able to to fill the factory with good orders, to, to order nice nice meter meters of, of uh, fabric. But yeah, we need volume. Yeah. yeah. But if I, if I can yeah, go yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you say growth being a dirty, dirty word, and that's yeah. that's all, always interesting when you talk with entrepreneurs who work in sustainability. That's there. Okay, what's the cap? So how far can yeah. I go? Yeah, yeah. Is this something you also, you also think about? It's like yes. okay, how many meters is enough mm-hmm. of jeans? True. We we've said to ourselves that if we have a company doing two hundred fifty thousand jeans a year, we have a nice company we can earn money we can invest in in future things and and research but that's enough we don't need millions of, of genes and where you're at right now so two, we're 250k 100, is the one hundred thousand. okay we're nearly okay. there and i think then uh, th- because i don't want to ship all genes back and forth over the oceans and uh, that's not my uh, my idea so i would be very uh, honored if somebody in the united states will pick this up mm. and start a similar company with our blueprint doing doing the same thing and and start recycling genes there and and maybe make them in mexico or something i don't mm. know but it's something you know and and in asia they should be able to do this or in australia so i'm very willing to open uh, actually it is open because our, our sustainability report is online and you can see exactly what we do and how we do it but that's our our aim yeah. okay so that would be the end goal to inspire the industry and not necessarily to become the biggest player out there two missions we gave ourselves when we started the first one of course reach this this uh, create a company that is uh, that, that is alive and that can can be there because that's also sustainability that mud jeans is still there next year because hmm. otherwise it doesn't sustain yeah it doesn't <laughs> sustain <laughs> and secondly we, we want to uh, be a pain in the ass in the industry that people say hey, these guys are doing it and and yeah. why aren't we doing it? and and that's that's happening actually now and the third is actually also inspire people we have a webinar every month with students where they, they have to do a thesis about something and they always come to the first and only circular fashion brand which is funny also maybe because we're a b corp and so in the beginning i had like an interview every day and i said okay this is nice but I have to sell jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's job. a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not very good at it. So um, we did it once. A, we do this once a month. Yeah. Uh, it may be interesting for your students that are listening. Once a month, you can ask me questions and we we uh, record it. And, um, and it's for me uh, very interesting to do. Because even now, after nine years of every month doing this webinar, I still get questions that I think, oh, I haven't thought about it. Yeah, yeah, they still surprise you. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll be sure to put the link to the webinar yeah, in our show notes. Yes. So indeed, um, uh, being a pain in the ass in the industry, I think, Miguel, yeah. that's also what you're trying yeah, you to do with fair isn't that? I was, uh, I was recognizing ourselves in, in those words very, yeah. very much. Yeah. yeah, because you are one of the co-founders of Fairphone. Mm. Yeah. Could you tell a bit more about your founding story? 
Yeah, I always say that I was in the right place at the right moment to meet Bas Van Abel, who was really like uh, the, the guy thinking behind uh, Fairphone. I met Bas, uh, uh, I think 11 years ago in Bach Society. That's where Bas uh, was working and where I started an internship for my thesis, for my master. So I studied strategic design in, the, in Delft here in the Netherlands. And I was looking for, I was very interested uh, in obsolescence and why, yeah, why people stop using things. What, what are influencers that make people stop using something and, and buy a new one? And in my search via via, I, I met Buzz and he had started already Fairphone as a project, as an awareness campaign uh, back then. And yeah, I was hooked from the first conversation with him and, and then we started working together. So I, I became part of Bach Society. And then over the next two years after that, uh, that year, then we, uh, yeah, we started Fairphone as, an, as, as a company by itself, not just as an, uh, a raising awareness campaign. Yeah. And what makes your phone fair? What's fair? Yeah, that's a very good question. We get this uh, many often, very often. Um, I think the the name of our brand is beautiful because it it shows where we want to get to, but it also shows something that is impossible. And uh, oh, it's impossible. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think Why? creating a hundred percent fair phone or any product, if you want, is and I'm going to quote Vas here. Uh, it's like uh, you would need to make uh, world peace first. Okay. And only then, then you can start making uh, completely fair products. Mm. Um, it is very complex. So, as, uh, yeah, a piece of technology is full of different components coming from hundreds of different companies uh, containing thousands of different compounds and materials. Uh, and this is a, a story that we are unraveling now for 11 years. And uh, in each of our impact pillars that we have, so, you know, we work on origin of materials, we work on working conditions, on the design of our products and on end of life as well. Uh, in each of these categories, there's multiple things that you can do and you have to do. But just to give you an example on materials, for example, uh, if we only talk about metals, and I'm trying not to use too much, too many jargon. Uh, no, words. if you do, then, yeah. then I'll, we just I'll, have to like take yeah. a moment to explain, but metals is yeah. fine. There's, I think. there's, there's <laughs> thousands of compounds. Compounds is a combination of different materials, but if you would take only pure metals, let's say there's around 43, 44 metals in a, in a phone. And each of these metals come from different countries. It might even come from different supply chains, of course, because they end up in different components. And one of the things that we do is uh, to concentrate on 14 of these 43 uh, chains. So I'm very much in, in favor of saying like, hey, this is a journey that's never finished. Um, and on our fair materials agenda, just to give you an example, we work on uh, uh, together with mines and other organizations to in, in yeah, improve the, the working conditions in the mining sector. So going back to the circular economy, I always like to say we do a lot, but for the transition towards a circular economy. I think it is a bit, we should not be talking about the circular economy as, a, as an ideal, but we should be talking about every step that we take every day to get a little bit closer to the circular economy and recognize that for a lot of companies and for a lot of industries, even though we are a new company, but our industry is very old in a way, a lot of industries are, uh, yeah, they, take, they need to take a lot of extra steps to get to that circular economy. Yeah, they were created in the linear economy Definitely. vision. Yeah. So changing that takes totally, a while. Totally. Because 
It, uh, the Fairphone has a modular design, right? So it also. means that you can mm -hmm. take different elements from the phone and replace them. Mm -hmm. So what, I, because I was thinking about this and I was thinking, okay, my older phones, they they were modular. You could take off the back offer, you could take off yep. out the battery and you could change it. So mm. that concept in itself is not necessarily new, but why though do you seem to be one of the only companies left building a modular yeah. phone? Why are all the phones now, well, tied shut, shut tight so that you can't see or touch. I mean, that's why probably Daniel likes to break everything open and look yeah, into them, it, yeah. but you can, they're, they're no, no longer accessible right. in that sense. You're very right. And you're very right to mention like the exchangeable batteries that we had in the past. I would even say, um, durability as a concept is also very old. That was the, the main engineering principle that you had before, you know, the fifties, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that things had to last because they had to bring you value for the money that you would put. So it is indeed a very old uh, concept. And when it comes to design of uh, smartphones in particular, yeah, uh, we've become um, addicted to small things and that integrated stuff. So we want devices that are thinner and that are, uh, uh, yeah, smaller or, you know, and, and all that integration comes at a price in the, in the case of technology. So, and unraveling that a little bit, I don't say going to brick phones again, but, uh, uh phones that indeed that you can open and own, like you were saying before, and, and that you can replace and repair yourself. Uh, that's one of the things, uh, one of the tools that we have to transition to the circular economy. Yeah, because for Fairphone, if, if, if a part of your phone breaks down, then you can go to the web shop of Fairphone yeah. and you can get the spare part and you can fix it yourself, right? We also have a repair center, of course. Okay. You know, everybody can just use our repair center, Yeah. but uh, it's much better to just get a screen and change it yourself yeah. for two reasons. You don't lose your phone any minutes, but also you learn how to repair a phone and exactly. you learn how that thing works and why certain things break and, and what you can do about it. So yeah. I, I think there's a duality there in repairability in, in learning to cherish what you own or pay to use as yeah. well but you know in this case own um and the very functional thing of just having a product that uh, works again and what is the reasoning because i can imagine that something like a modular phone would also be a great item to have as a product as a service mm -hmm. so but fairphone I, I checked the website you can only buy the fairphone yeah so why do you not have a pay to use option yeah and here comes the reality of a scale up uh, i would say <laughs> yeah um We've researched it. So uh, um, there's also a, a couple of reports that we did with Circle Economy, which is a, a, a organization here in Amsterdam. Um, there's a whole list of reasons why we haven't done it yet, but I will say we will do it in the future. Uh, it's just going to take a little bit longer. So there's not, I would not say there is one thing that really, really stops us from, from doing it but there's different things, operational readiness. And then we were mentioning uh, access to capital, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. there, there are many things that, uh, because just to give you an example, if you want to, um, if you want to lease phones, you need to own them or you or, well, there's other ways of constructing that, but yeah. let's say, someone needs to be a, the a company needs to own that fleet of uh, phones and that requires capital that 
Yeah. Well, no, we don't always have. So that's one of the things. Yeah. It, yeah. Is that is that a common issue, Daniel? That's a that's a really common issue that you hear a lot because um, whether it's phones or bikes. Um, before it was you sell something you get the money and then the transaction done and the bank really likes it of course because then you can see cash coming in coming out but now you own all these things and you have all these contracts with different people and you have to convince a bank that these contracts are reliable for a certain amount of time and that that's really have. hard to do so so you really and and here comes the interesting part because you have to look at your value of the thing you own differently so before let's say for a car you say well a car is uh, uh 30k and then when it comes back after three years or four years it's uh 20k or 15k and then you can sell it again so you already have a market for it But in the case of a phone or even a bike, then you have to look not just the value of the whole car, but all the separate separate parts. So let's say maybe the screws in the car or maybe the battery in the car can be used in different industries. So you, ha you really have to break down things and uh, report the value of those broken down parts. And then you get this whole other value structure instead of one product. Because one, there's no, not one product, mm. there's different parts. And if yeah. you design it in a good way, here we go back again to the circular economy part. If you design it in a good way that you can make your parts interchangeable of, of value so that other sectors or industries can use it after you get it back, then it becomes really interesting. Then you can say, hey, the value is way higher than you would expect before just looking at it as one phone or one bike. But this requires... I would say the the world at large to change how we think. Absolutely. Yes, yes, and uh, uh, this is also happening, of course, because um, if you look at European Commission, they have these circular economy plans, and product as a service is part of it. So what's is going what is going to happen is they will have to look into okay, so how do we value products? We have to value things differently uh, to make sure that product as a service becomes more broadly accepted. Of course, it's already broadly accepted because we rent a lot of things. It's not new, like I said before, but to use this model in different ways for genes, whatever, uh, you have to, um, well, bend the rules or change the rules a little bit to make it more easy to use. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's funny because when I started with Lisa Genes and I, said, uh, I spoke to banks about this, of course, because I was also trying to be... Uh, to get financed. The funny thing is all the banks, everybody, the first question was, how are you going to be sure that these people at that time was 750 are going to pay your 750 a month? Mm -hmm. And my answer always used to be, I'll, I'll buy a big shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just financed it myself, but nobody wants, wanted, yeah. nine years ago, nobody wanted to finance yeah. this. Today, They're reaching out to me and ask me, beg me, if it, could you please, because you're doing product as service and we're very interested, we want to do this. <laughs> yeah. The only bank who wanted to do something was Triodos Bank at that time, who came to us and said, it's interesting what you do. We, we, we want to help you. Can we help you? I said, yeah, of course you can help me. <laughs> so yeah, it's very difficult to get this kind of things financed. And still today, yeah, I have to deliver... 
millions of papers and spreads and yeah. I don't know. Books of papers. I cannot imagine. <laughs> there is a little difference though between between business to consumers and business to business because yeah, if true. you would have like a big business that you have a contract with for X amount of years, you yeah. know, yeah. it's That's it's way easier. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking business to consumer. Yeah, yeah. business to consumer. Yeah. yeah, small amounts. Is, I, yeah. I have to get 5,000 times 750 people. every yeah. month and make yeah. sure that I get them yeah. on my bank account. And people <laughs> yeah. ask, oh, but I can tell you in the nine years, and that's also maybe the, the type of clients that we have, I've never had one month unpaid so far. I was about Nobody. to ask, do you do you run into any challenges with your consumers in need no. repairing phones, bringing back jeans? No. Everyone's very loyal. Extremely loyal, yes. They and want this to work. And do, because... Um, we even have this small booklet in our jeans uh, saying, uh, explaining what we do and where the material comes from and everything. And this, this small gentleman's agreement where we ask you, please sign it and promise that you will, after use, will, after, it will send the, the jeans back to us. And people do this. They people sign have, it. They sign it. They, they sign their own jeans. <laughs> they, they sign it back to us and they send it back to us. They take the, 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 all this work to send it back to us. We can put a whole wall with contracts of people, uh, with gentlemen agreements, uh, people saying, well, well, I promise to send it back to you after use. That's fantastic, right? You do. It is. It shows yeah. change in, in, in consumer and behavior. And also a, a connection with your customers. Yeah. I think it's all about connection today. Mm. And how yeah. about you, Mikael? Do you, um, be, well, as you just mentioned, because of course... Uh, for phones especially uh, consumers have become quite well maybe a bit spoiled in the 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 luxury they have of choosing these grade a phones that are mm. released one every every two years and every the year. camera is getting every better year. every year and so uh, you as fairphone try to combat that but you also want to market yourself as an attractable phone right mm -hmm. so Definitely. how do you keep up with the developments of the market and these smarter, bigger, better, more beautiful smartphones every year. Yeah, I guess we have to be selective. And so indeed, our phone still needs to be attractive in the, in the market and needs to be something that is comparable when you go to uh, uh, KPN, Orange, uh, whoever shop. Uh, it needs to look like similar or a little yeah. bit different, but just not, not too far away. Mm -hmm. So it is a, it is a fine line. Um, <laughs> I am in, in products, so I can tell you, we sweat a lot with the thickness of our device, for example, <laughs> and, uh, because now there are devices in the market that are, you know, seven, eight uh, millimeters. Um, and that's difficult when you're doing a, a, a modular device, but the art is to do it in a way that you are still within a certain range that people find uh, acceptable, definitely. Yeah. And that accounts for everything that we do at Fairphone, actually. Yeah, because I saw that you have recently released a new camera. So uh, that yeah. if you have an, an older model, you can specifically change the camera mm -hmm. so that it has the new megapixels yeah yeah and mps that uh that can compete with some of the other cameras yeah. and so is that then for example a popular feature then people instantly want to change their cameras uh it is definitely popular um we market it in a way that of course you should only do it if you need it uh, obviously mm. um but yeah it is it is popular because that's one of the things that people want to want to change but the camera for example is around uh seven percent of the co2 emissions at production so i always want to say this because 
when you're changing a whole phone, then you are basically incurring in the same amount of CO2 emissions for the whole phone. But when you're only changing a part, if that's going to uh, make you like your phone a little bit longer, then that's worth, you know, and, uh, and a battery, for example, is also around 6% of CO2 emissions at, at production. Um, a plastic cover is 0.3 CO2. Uh, uh, so, you know, like if you're going to change your back cover because you don't want black, but you want another color now, uh, if that's going to make you keep your phone a little bit longer and have that maybe new feeling that we were talking about before, then, well, that's, that's okay because it's, you are not changing the whole phone. And that's, no. that's what we do with the camera because yeah. the camera is the feature, right? Like the feature. It that has people, become the feature yeah, of a phone. Yes, exactly. So that's how we also navigate a little bit the industry. So we use modularity for repair, but we also in some cases for upgradability, not for everything, but for things that make sense to keep the product, uh, yeah, market relevant, uh, especially for products that we keep in the market for so long again, because if we would then sell a new model after one year, we don't need a, a new camera because basically there's a whole new model. Yeah. But like this, we are able to extend the, the lifetime of our product in the market as well. Because you now have I've uh, Fairphone three. three plus, right? Yeah. Three and three plus. Are there yeah. still people using the original Fairphone? Fairphone 1, yeah, definitely. There's still some people. It's uh, now quite some time back because we launched that one in 2013. Yeah, but, but I, there are still people. That's, I know people that's eight that's years still old. Using it. Yeah, that's, I know right now, that, that's ancient yeah. in these days. But for example, Fairphone 2, our first modular device, we just announced uh, a couple of weeks ago that we are uh, launching a new Android uh, upgrade. So we are now really over five years software support of that device. Uh, and there's many people that are using it still. Nice. Yeah. And to what extent have you become a pain in the ass in the industry? Where are you? <laughs> we don't like to. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's a good one. So we also have as a mission to inspire the rest of the industry by creating a market for ethical uh, uh, consumer electronics. And we know most of what we do, we publish about it. So we are also very transparent from that same perspective of, hey, let's get other people to replicate this. Um, Fairphone, I was saying before, Fairphone started as an awareness campaign back then for consumers, but now has become an awareness campaign in the industry. And that's exactly what we wanted. So that's our first step. The second one is creating tangible projects and, and examples that people can refer to and, and use. And the third one is uh, what we call now creating followers in the industry, maybe a bit paternalistic, but, you know, creating buzz in the industry about the things that we do so that other companies, and I don't like to talk about companies, but more individuals in companies can use the things that we do to push a certain agenda in their, in their organizations as well. And that's, you see that happening also, that there yeah. are individuals approaching you saying, hey, yeah. I'm from this other big well, tech company and I want to learn. We have projects that we have now funded or helped fund where other big companies have joined. So the maybe less related to this, or well, it is related to circular economy in a way, but we have the Fair Cobalt Alliance uh, together with Signify and Tesla. And this is a project that we really funded and that's to invest in health and safety in mines in the east of congo and cobalt it's a interesting example for the circular economy because cobalt is a material that comes in your batteries it's 
you can recycle it. But now because of how the market is going with electric vehicles, there's a huge demand of cobalt. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that we can serve this huge demand of cobalt with recycled cobalt. So even though if you would want to have a full circular economy in the cobalt world, it would be literally impossible. There's not enough cobalt in the market yet to serve the, the need. Um, what happens that then the, the, the mines uh, get even more asked for, for cobalt. And then the mines that are not working under good working conditions get even more tensionated. I don't know how to call it. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important to keep on working on virgin cobalt in, in improving uh, working conditions in the mining sector while we transition to the circular economy. Because otherwise that will not happen and will only make it worse. Yeah. So, yeah, you talked about circular economy and donut economy. I think they are very interrelated. Uh, but for me, the point is to realize that we are in this transition and the transition has effects uh, as well. And, and we need to look at all the effects uh, and not just look at, OK, let's use 100 percent recycled cobalt because it's still it's not there yet. Utopia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you may you may get there for your own company. Hmm. But yeah, you are but not, not changing the, the market no. or the industry. Yeah. And so let's let's look at that future. Um, uh, because, Daniel, all you get, to, well, maybe it's not all you get to do, but I said in the intro, I said circular economy is basically what you get to do for a living and research it. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and uh, both, uh, both Bert and Mikel are working on like also inspiring and changing the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, to what extent do we already see that transition happening? Are we already talking about a full transition or are we still in its early stages? Ooh, depending what sector you're talking about. But I think one of the sectors that gets the most pressure and also where you see the most changes in packaging, because, you know, packaging is used really relatively shortly. There are a lot of consumers that see the negative effects of single-use pla uh, plastics um, because it's a really visual uh, environmental problem other than, you know, carbon emissions or climate change. Yeah, well, it gets hotter and maybe it's colder sometimes, but you cannot... It's there's abstract. No, it's really abstract. Yeah. And, and plastic, if you see a turtle with a, with a plastic straw, then it's like, oh, you know. Yeah. So um, it's really visual and there's a lot of legislation coming. So this combined with the strategies of companies changing, um, we did recent research in uh, chemical recycling. So you s and there's a lot of money going into chemical recycling just to increase the capacity to make plastic circular. So at the end, there's a lot happening uh, in designs. There's happening a lot. So this is really... Uh, one sector that's uh, that's changing in a big way. Yeah, and opinion. are there sectors lagging behind? Pooh. Um, or maybe haven't even started? Um, I see someone nodding here. But <laughs> I, no, but it, I mean, in, in, in a sense, it's in, I, I can't think of a sector where it's it's not being mentioned. Mm. I mean, from from recycling ships to to uh, hazardous material, you know, it's everywhere. Um, and yes, I mean, when it comes to some hazardous materials, yeah, sometimes it's harder to, to do it than, you know, plastics is already hard, but, uh, hazardous materials are really, uh, 
hard to do. And of course, there are also already some really um, um, uh, mature industries. So let's say the glass or paper industry. Yeah. I mean, glass is feedstock for new glass because it lowers the temperature. So, you know, they want recycled glass and paper. We already know that there are 52 uh, types of uh, paper that we can recycle. And it's a really mature industry. It's a fiber. It gets shorter. First, it's, you know, printing paper. Then it comes toilet paper. Then... You know, uh, we know what happens. So uh, there are different gradations, so to say, grades of circular, but everybody knows about it and knows something has to happen. And I think what's coming from the EU Green Deal, certain new circularity plan is really pushing industries, even the industries that you would think, should we also make this circular? Yes, they already know about it and they, they are coming. So, and Only 1% of garments is being recycled at this moment. Uh, in the fashion industry. In the fashion know. industry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I had a I, I had a question about that too. Because if you look at the fashion industry, I think it's one of the industries that's quite vocal about what they're doing. Yeah. So you have Adidas and you have Nike with their uh, shoes made from recycled materials. I think Adidas, as of 2025, only wants to use recycled materials. Mm -hmm. And you have all these products that are now made from recycled PLA, and you have backpacks, etc. But is are they be, like is it for them are they being vocal because they're a leader or are they being vocal because they need to catch up no they're being vocal because consumers are demanding this the clothing industry is the second largest uh, polluting industry but nobody talks about it it's just the party goes on we make uh, every two weeks a new collection and try to sell as much as we can. That's that's what we do. So there's still a lot of work to do in the fashion yeah, it's, industry. It's, it's a horrible industry. Yes. Yeah. And how about the tech industry? How do you think it will develop in the future? Um, yeah, there's more and more companies also doing a lot of recycling. I think one thing that we see less is uh, the middle part of the circular economy, which is should be on durability. Mm. Um, I think one thing that we tend to forget, and especially when certain companies call circular when they actually mean just recycling, um, is that in, in the end, like the essence of the circular economy is keeping the value of the resources at, at the at highest point yeah. for as long as possible. Yeah. Right. So from, let's say, cotton or whatever commodity we're talking about, we bring value during the production phase and design phase. And when they become product and it's when they are at the highest value of utility. So in the end, that's how we make the best use of the resources, not only in cycling them, but also in keeping them at this highest uh, value for as long as possible. And that's uh, yeah, that's kind of forgotten a little bit in the tech industry, uh, I think. It is difficult also. So we go through a lot of uh, difficulties in, for example, keeping five years uh, software support for our devices because that device is full of components from many other companies that have their own product roadmaps that decide when this component comes end of life and until when they support the, the software on that specific component. So very often it's a little bit like huh, juggling around and uh, uh, looking well, trying to do something in a black box uh, until it, until it works. Uh, our software developers will kill me when I say this, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, they, it, there, there is a certain trial and error because other parts of the supply chain, other companies that are in the components that you are using are not collaborating for that, uh, for that longevity. And unfortunately, this is something that has been in the tech industry for way, way too long. So now 
changing it is taking time and uh but okay but yeah. already today with what we have we are able to have a phone that is modular that is repairable that is supported by five years which is already quite more than than other uh, pieces of tech out there yeah so there's a shift happening but dependent being dependent on mm. other uh smaller suppliers is of course challenging and then getting everyone on board to change the way we think about yeah. technology sometimes very big suppliers yeah. no? i'm talking about also some some parts of our phones are made by multi-million uh, companies as well that have their own agendas and that are very difficult to change yeah. yeah and so um do we think that we're ever going to, well, that the linear economy will cease to exist at one point and that we're actually going to move to that fully circular economy? Daniel? Well, uh, we're going to get a great end towards the circular economy, but 100% circular is not possible. I mean, things break down. We are humans, so we 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 make mistakes um, in losing things, breaking things, and not properly recycling things. Um, but what I do think is, and what you just mentioned also, is the shift from because what you say is true. Is now the focus is really on recycling. So you get a product and you you put it into something, you heat it up or you shred it, and something comes out that you can use again. Um, but the shift towards the designer making that product and knowing, okay, if I design it in such, if you, if I use these colors or these materials, it can change the course of the direction of this product immensely. Mm -hmm. And those decisions are being made by those designers. So I think the most important shift within circular economy is getting the end of the life of a product or the extent of the life of a product in the minds of those designers. And I think that's the greatest thing that we can achieve. And that will extend products to the maximum that we can possibly extend them, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if I look to my small world and, and talk about cotton, today I think 140 billion kilos of cottons are, are, are produced. If everybody would do what we do, and, and we can go to 40% recycled, that would make a huge difference. It would yeah. be fantastic. And we are even trying to make now a 100% post-consumer waste jeans, which is going to happen. But but if you if you would imagine that the whole world would would end up doing like like this, and and you could save 50% of all cotton, then that's 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 already a big gain. It doesn't matter to grow new cotton. We can do it, but on a much lesser, smaller scale. I think it would be already fantastic, but totally linear. I'm, I'm not going to see that happen. Totally circular. Sorry. Totally circular. No, I'm, uh, like you said, yeah, I totally agree. We're human. Uh, yeah. With all the mistakes we have. Yeah. But uh, even if, if all the industries manage to get to a point where they recycle half of what they yeah, do yeah. and get virgin materials yeah. for the other other half mm -hmm. that would already have a great impact i think so. yeah yeah and, and we still live with the physical limitations of materials i mean mm -hmm. it's yeah. not that some some materials you can recycle up to a nine times some ten True. times but you know there are limitations there yeah 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 there's yeah. even limitations in in separating certain materials from each yeah. other i mean there are physics limitations yeah, I, I wanted to, to just say something that I I think 
because now we are talking about companies and, and, and if they are ever going to move completely to circular economy. But I also think that there is an opportunity now in also changing how people buy and what they expect. I was about to ask, what's the role of yeah. us as consumers? Changing, what can we do? Yeah, changing the expectations of consumers can be done through this kind of revolutions, you know, like, so we are now in this middle of this transition and, and yeah, I always find it, uh, now you mentioned designers, I always find it so interesting when I look at, um, uh, it's called yield rate, which means <laughs> how many, how many of your products, let's say, come out good from a certain process and how many need to be discarded. Consumers tend to think that things are just, they all look the same and they all come the same to the factory, but actually no, the ones that reach them look the same because, yeah. but there's a lot that is discarded in the, in the in process. The, and indeed certain colors or certain processes mm -hmm. may make that yield rate go down. So sometimes you're looking at yield rates that are only 80%. So that means literally that you are discarding 20% of a part because it does not meet a certain consumer expectation. Let's say that you have I don't know, this chair is gray and you want them all to be exactly the same gray. Yeah. And you don't, oh, as a consumer, you don't accept that one looks a little bit weird because then you won't buy it. Yeah. Let's say because it looks it's a bit darker, darker or lighter. Or a bit lighter. Or, yeah. So that's also something that I think we need to start <laughs> getting consumers into it, right? Like yeah. that things... Things are different. Yeah, <laughs> things are different. And there is, yeah. a, there is a complexity in manufacturing products. There's a lot of complexities in manufacturing yes. products. And yeah, they, they just don't come from a tree, right? Like there's a lot of processes behind. And I think we are now in that opportunity of maybe changing a yes. little bit what consumers can expect. And, yeah. and yeah. Um, with these stories, right? With the yes. story of like, well, we want to be more sustainable. Well, I'm cutting now here 20%. E-way uh, ways just by accepting this ten percent that it looks a little bit lighter, yeah. for example. Yeah. We have the same in our jeans. When you use recycled content, there's of course always a little bit of plastic or some something, and you see these small dots. Twenty years ago, this would definitely mm. be cancelled or rejected. This kind of material. Yeah. Today, it's it's our fun factor. P people, even our consumers, they like it. They say, "Oh yeah, I can see mm. it's recycled," and they don't mind. So th this this will help a lot, like you say, yeah. um, the acceptance of, of a product, and it's still it's still a very nice pair of jeans, yeah. and it still fits perfectly. I hope, and <laughs> it's still you know. So th this is totally right what you're yeah. saying. Creating new experiences in yeah. the end, yeah. you know, like and creating so awareness. For and us, we send you a module with a screwdriver, and then yeah. you need to change it yourself. Yeah. It's a new experience. Yeah. yeah, and I think there is an opportunity there. Yeah, yeah in creating positive. So positive experiences around yeah. sustainability that create something new for consumers and then they get also hooked to Yeah, And yeah, this is important. Uh, I always like to say that sustainability should not be something waving with the green finger and saying it's all wrong. We try to make fun. Mm -hmm. So creating awareness, creating something engaging. But with a positive. People, and with, no, a, with positive, a positive. Uh, yeah. 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 Great. So to wrap this up, um, we always want to know what we can do ourselves. And with me, we, I mean the student hotel as a company, but also very much our community. So let's start with the student hotel. How can we as a company contribute to the development of the circular economy and new business models? What would you advise us to do if we want to stimulate these transitions? 
Who wants to start? I think Daniel's ready to start. Ah. <laughs> so many things, so many things. Well, coming from a bank, so talking about finance is, um, um, well, before we talked about uh, the loans you uh, you get, the green loans you get, and the requirements you put into those green loans. I think that's one of the important things that you say and agree on is that okay we yes we want the money but we need a maximum of requirements on sustainability on let's say carbon emissions or the amount of waste that we recycle or any other requirements that you want to put in there uh, to make sure that the money you loan gets used in a good way yeah and i think that's something really big what's already happening in the financial world that we more steer our investments to things that we know contribute to the world that we want to be in in the future yeah so yeah more holistic major thing i think that's important thing to do and that a student hotel can also contribute to yeah mm -hmm. so make sure that we integrate sustainability and our objectives in every aspect of our business every operations. aspect of the business yes okay great that's one Bert, do you have advice for us? If I have more have a demand. Oh, you if, have if a demand. Uh, oh, interesting. Tell me. Take our jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In our phones. Talk about it. <laughs> no, we need we need to be seen. I mean, what we are doing. Uh, first of all, we need to educate people about textiles or about garments. There, you could help. Secondly, uh, we need as a company volume. Uh, we we didn't get to this uh, ideal. So we need to sell more jeans. You could help there. You could show off our 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 case, uh, showing we we have all kind of POS material where we show how we make our jeans and what yeah. we do, shredding jeans in small bits. It's very funny. It's even nice to see because it's it's attractive. I think that would help. You know, if if your students get to know you're helping us today, yeah. talking about our jeans, which is good and. Um, um, and of course, it would be good if your people would wear, wear the jeans. Our jeans. <laughs> <laughs> to test, could you test our jeans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we could be a test case. I'm sure yeah, that we yeah. can. <laughs> but uh, besides testing, it's also very much about helping yeah. other social enterprises, circular companies create that awareness and that uh, yeah. publicity. That's what we did for Fairphone is also in our, you know, we're fellow B Corp. We also talked to Tony Chocoloni. It helps our communities uh, talk about, uh, you know, we did once with Tredos Bank, they, they sent to all their uh, customers uh, in their newsletter, they talked about this. Yeah. This is unbelievable. For us. We reached 300,000 mm. people, the right people also. Right, yeah. Uh, I think you might have done the same with them. Mm. Those those kind of things help us tremendously. Exposure. Exposure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. Any other yeah. tips, Miguel? Um, I think you guys are already in the industry of the positive experiences, uh, mm -hmm. having a hotel. We try and, to be. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like it it is interesting to maybe raise that awareness here in the context of a hotel uh, where people come for a certain period of of their time and try to get them into certain behaviors or certain awareness of certain. Products that you use here that they think they can take home, not take home literally, but that when they go home, they can do yeah. the same. So anything that you can do in changing their behavior here. Yeah. Think how you can do that in a way that they can also keep that behavior when they leave uh, the student hotel. Well, that's great because that's actually one of the things that I'm really trying to work yeah. on you is do, indeed yeah. create that experience while we have them here in the building. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll be sure to keep that in mind also in terms of the circular economy. Mm -hmm. Now, then the last question that we have, because we like it that you give 
the student hotel advice, but we more so like it if you can give our community advice. We have our listeners, um, assuming that they are all interested in learning more about the circular economy. Maybe they even want to start their own business. What tips and tricks, what books, articles, Netflix, documentaries, <laughs> uh, I don't know what uh, webinars indeed could you recommend for anyone who wants to start creating that more sustainable world tomorrow? Well, well, one of the things, and that's something I always do, is when a product you bought um, breaks down or you want to repair it, call the company and say, hey, I, I got this product from you. It broke down. I don't know what it is. Can you help me with it? I mean, and I, I do this every time. And some companies, you, you really see that they get this question a lot. But some companies are like... Um, um, yeah. I'll send you a new one. I said, no, 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 I, I, want, to, I want to repair it. And yeah. so and so it's a new dimension for companies that customers start calling them and say, we want to repair things. And this is a, a signal also for companies if they get, get these calls. So just call them and say, I want to repair it. Can you help me? Can you send that part that's, that's broken down? Because, you know, it's just a new world for them sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So asking... The companies that you buy ask from questions, yeah. ask questions. Yeah. Uh, Miguel, any tips or tricks? Uh, I, I books? was going to recommend a book actually. Tell me, because we talked about designers, and in a way, I think everybody is a designer because we all create things uh, in our jobs. And there's a book that I read uh, this year uh, from Mac, Mike Monteiro. He's a designer, and it's called "Ruined by Design." Ruined by Ru design. Ruined by okay. design. <laughs> and it's really. Uh, yeah, it was it was very nice because a little bit why I joined Fairphone as well is because I was seeing like the whole world of industrial design and how is that actually just pushing people to buy more things without thinking too much. And what Mike Monteiro says in his book is that when you create things, you have a certain responsibility of doing it the right way. And it is a call for people that create things to really think not only about when that product is going to be sold in a shop, but what's going to happen after what's going to happen with the second use of it, when it's going to happen, when it comes end of life. And really to take that responsibility from the beginning and from the, from the, from the design phase. So it's a great book for, uh, for anybody actually, it doesn't have to be uh, designers. Nice. Thank yeah. you. And Bert, we'll be sure to uh, list the webinar that you mentioned in which they can ask you questions, yeah. but any yeah, sure, yeah. articles that inspired you, any books, any Documentaries, yeah, videos. Yeah, Kate the, the circular economy. But I would like to say that uh, when when you buy something, think about, do I really need it? And especially with clothing, um, try to buy secondhand clothing, just just the idea. Uh, it, it's because when you spend your money and you give it to a certain company, it means that you agree with what they are doing. Mm -hmm. So think about it. Every every this is nothing new, but every dollar you 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 spend is a vote or, or euro is a vote for something. So try to make your vote count for for better things, better products, better companies, maybe better yeah ideas. And are there uh, besides uh, thrift shopping and secondhand shopping? Are there any other sustainable brands that you find inspiring at the moment that yes. are up and coming? Um, for me, the benchmark is Patagonia. I yeah. really mm -hmm. find it an incredible company. But there's a lot of smaller companies doing similar things that we are doing. And and look at the film uh, True Cost. True Cost. Uh, yeah, it's very okay. interesting. 
That's Great. about that's about the 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 backside of the clothing industry. Yeah, it's not that new anymore, but uh, they really still very relevant. They make you think. Yeah, yeah. They make you think twice about the shirt that yeah, you yeah, bought. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the book that you quickly mentioned, Kate Raworth, The Donut Economy, of yeah, course, which definitely. is the yeah. the found the the book on the donut economy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That brings us to the end. I'd like to thank you thank all you. very much. Thank you. Um, I very much enjoyed this conversation, very insightful. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it too. If so, please head over to Spotify or Apple and like and subscribe. This will really help us reach more people. And we like it even more if you rate and review us. So please don't hesitate to share your thoughts. You could also email us your thoughts at community at the studenthotel.com. And until next time. <laughs>